0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And here we're here for the OTA edition because we're now in, what, mid-spring? It's, what, late May? We're getting towards the end of the offseason workout program. And the Giants began OTAs this week, their first OTA. First of 10, by the way. They have 10 OTAs. They began on Monday. And then they have a mandatory mini-camp in early June. And then it's off for the summer. Six-week break or so. And then training camp starts. So this is sort of the wrap-up of everything that's happened this spring. The roster is pretty much set in place. So you get a Here's what you get at OTAs, right? They're out there. There's players running around. They're in shoulder pads and helmets. Thud, they call it. And they're practicing but it's offense versus defense not killing each other you can't really even make line or like evaluations on either the offensive line or defensive line so take that into consideration people ask all the time how's this offensive lineman doing how's this offensive lineman doing they're not really hitting so they're kind of working on footwork playing patty cake with their hands this isn't full contact it's the coaches have told me in the past look you can't judge linemen in the spring, okay? So that's how we, what we're looking at here are for hints of what the team's thinking is, right? How is the team thinking? Like Eric Flowers comes back. He spends most of the spring away from the team. And all of a sudden, he gets reinserted immediately. And then he's working alongside the first team offensive line. Now, I don't get, let me just rant on this for a second. I don't get this. Coaches always try and sell you there's no depth chart, right? Chip Kelly used to even say, uh, the depth chart is written in the sand in the spring. Meaning that you can basically just wipe it out and it goes away quickly and, and changes up. But for some reason, coaches, and Pat Shermer did this the other day, he said there's no depth chart. Tell me, how did Eli Manning and... Odell Beckham's not playing, but Eli Manning and Sterling Shepard and Nate Solder no, all end up on the same team working with the first-team unit if there's no depth chart. How does the, the first-team defense resemble the starting lineup of what we would project it to be right now if there's no depth chart at all? There's a depth chart, and Eric Flowers is working with the first-team offense, Eli Apple is working with the first-team defense. This is a good indication, at least in my mind, from watching these OTAs for years and how they work and how teams operate, that this the, the Giants' plan is for those two guys to start, right? No matter what happened last year, they're hoping right now, they're banking on those two players, those two first-round picks from, what, 2015 and 2016, to be starters at right tackle and at cornerback. Eli Apple starting at cornerback. He was with the first team opposite Janars Jenkins. And in the slot was William Gay, which was also interesting. William Gay is in his mid 30s and was a, probably the fourth or fifth cornerback last year for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. There's going to be a competition, a huge competition. Granted, also, we need to note that Michael Thomas, the safety, also plays some in the slot. He was not out on the field. He was nursing a minor injury, I believe. Uh, he was working on the side. He was out there, but not practicing. So maybe that's partially why Gay was in that slot. So let's just keep that, keep that in mind as we move forward here. But there was a player out there, and he also stood on the side for most of practice, and it was Odell Beckham Jr. And I wrote about this, and I, I can't say this enough. Everything he's done this spring... You know he he attended OTAs, he attended the start of mini camp, he was there for the start of the offseason workout program. Has been done with a purpose. He's doing what is necessary to get himself in position to land that big contract that he so desperately desires. So this is all good signs. The Giants and Beckham, that relationship with Pat Shermer. Everything I hear on that, that's a that's a solid relationship between the two of them. They like what they've heard. It, it's a nice start. From that end, right? Because you need to be on the best page, on the same page as your best player. And there's little doubt in my mind that Odell Beckham Jr. is the Giants' best player. So the fact that the two of them are on the same wavelength is kind of important to me here in this situation. And it's kind of leading towards, okay, the Giants are going to be set to pay him. And that it's going to come. Now, there hasn't been any negotiations yet, or at least serious negotiations. So they're not close to that. But I think they're all optimistic that something might get done before the start of this season. Now, remember, look at, let's look at, uh, the past history because John Maris said, look, this isn't our first negotiation. Plaxico Bursts. When he signed this deal, I believe it was a couple days before the start of the regular season. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens with Beckham here and the Giants. You know, they're moving in the right direction now. The Giants are seeing what they want. They're seeing him dedicated to their new program. They're seeing him work in rehab with their own guys, for the most part. And even when he's not, even when he's off in California, he's sending them videos of his rehab, of his work. These are good things. These are good things. These are, these are signs of two parties being on the same page. And that's important here because if things go awry, I can't see the Giants season not going awry. He's that important to this team. What they average in the, I I think when the games where Odell either was limited or did not play last year, they averaged 13.6 points per game, I believe it was. Under 14 points per game in the NFL without this guy. So they need him. I know they have Saquon Barkley, and we want to see Odell and Saquon Barkley uh, you know, as a one-two punch with Evan Ingram and, and Sterling Shepard and Eli Manning throwing them the ball. Potential there, for sure. But without Odell, all of a sudden, everything changes. And the Giants don't want to get to that point. They've made progress here this spring. After that video came out, it seems like Odell got on the on the right page, made sure everything was smoothed over with the organization, and did what they wanted and what they expected. And now we stand here waiting for the Giants to do their part, which is eventually going to be needing to sign this guy long-term. Because that's the only thing that's going to make him happy now, going out there and playing for $8.5 million, stringing him along on a franchise tag. That's going to leave an unhappy player And maybe a toxic atmosphere in that locker room and in that building. I know he wants to win, but he also wants to be taken care of. He doesn't want to, he's not, they're not about to make a dumb business decision. That's what it would be if he went out there and put himself at serious risk for another year or two. So, and another positive from minicamp, let's move on from that Odell topic. Because I know everyone's tired of hearing about Odell, right? Although it's still one of the most popular questions I get. The next most popular question is, how does Saquon look? Huh? How does he look? Now remember, this is a passing camp, right? Essentially. They're out there in shoulder pads and helmets. You know, they're running the ball, but it's not full contact. No one's tackling. Nobody, you know, the defense and is, isn't trying to obliterate offensive linemen and running backs and pass catchers. It's essentially a glorified, Passing camp. That's what OTAs and mini camps are. So, this allows Saquon Barkley, and this is the number one thing I see so far. He gets to showcase those pass-catching skills, which are very impressive, let me tell you. The way he runs routes is impressive. The way he picks up the offense, the way they can move him around, put him in different spots. And I think that's a big thing with this Giants team this year. You should expect a lot of different looks. I mean, we're, we're used to the past couple of years, right, with Ben McAdoo's offense. We saw three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, 90% of the time. Not this year. Nope. I went back and watched Pat Shermer's offense in Minnesota last year. A lot of two running backs. A lot, even more two tight ends. I mean, you see a lot of 11 personnel with three wide receivers and a tight end and a running back. But not anywhere near as much. And Saquon Barkley, we're going to see him doing different things out of different formations. You know, have two running backs on the field at the same time. I wouldn't be surprised. If we saw that. So it's a little bit with Minnesota last year with Jer- uh, with Jarek McKinnon and uh, Dalvin Cook. And I think you might see it a little bit with Wayne Gallman and Saquon Barkley. You'll see the two of them in the backfield. And all of a sudden you'll see Saquon Barkley motion out and flanked out as a wide receiver. And based on what I've seen so far, his hands, dynamite, his pass-catching skills, I mean, uh, his his pass-route running, precise and impressive. This will give the Giants options. This offense will have some options. After practice, you know, at the end, you saw Saquon staying there, working with Fourth round pick quarterback Kyle Letta. You like to see that. So Eric Flowers staying after practice, working with new left tackle Nate Solder. You like to see that. Your hope that maybe he can get in his head, he can help him out. We'll see if that actually materializes. I think with Eric Flowers, we're in year four. We need to see it. I think I was talking to David Deal at his golf outing last week. By the way, raised several hundred thousand dollars, which is pretty impressive for uh, Clara Moss Medical Centers. That's good work from my book. But I was talking to him and he said, look, he was, his point with Flowers was, hey, you got to, that's it. We got to see it. You know, we got to see it to believe it. We got to see it on the field. We have to see him do it on the field. There's one thing to talk about it and and do the right things and uh, and show up and practice and stay after practice and all these other things. But now, hey, it's year four. Prove it. Get on the field and prove it. Prove that you're a starting caliber tackle and a quality player. Prove it. That's where we're at in the Eric Flowers progression. Now, at OTAs, I did find it interesting that some of these young players, most of the rookies, they were bringing brought along kind of slowly. Pat Shurmur says he's going to throw him in, but the initial step, OTA one, had them sort of working in the background. Okay? Meaning that Will Hernandez spent most of his time at left guard, the second-round pick, Will Hernandez, left guard with the second string. Barkley rotated in, but Jonathan Stewart began with the running backs. Uh, Kyle Letta was behind... Davis Webb. I mean, Eli Manning, obviously, with the first team. Davis Webb. And even Alex Tanney. So Kyle Letter received minimal snaps, which I'm not really so sure. I don't know why you wouldn't want to get this guy as many snaps as possible. I guess it's about learning the offense and being, you know... Because here, think about it for a second. The rookies came in, what, two, three weeks ago at this point. The Giants have been here since March. So... The veterans are two months or so ahead of the rookies in regards to knowing the playbook, learning the playbook. Now, Taney, obviously, was signed recently, but he knows more from being in the league. So this is probably a learning process. Still, it's something to keep an eye on. We want to see Kylo Letter receive as many uh, snaps as possible. And also, the only play – I saw two guys I didn't see there. One was uh, Damon Harrison. And uh, Coach Pat Shermer said he knew why he wasn't there. He didn't want to get into it anymore. Okay, whatever on that. Uh, Voluntary program. Obviously, they'd like to have everybody there. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's not. At this point, doesn't seem like much of a big deal. But, actually, let me just say, the other guy I didn't see was running back Robert Martin, uh, the Rutgers running back. I don't know. Maybe... Didn't get an explanation. Not really sure yet why, but that was the other guy we didn't see. So those two guys weren't there. Uh, the snacks part, not a big deal now, but just something to keep in mind, and we'll get to this later on. Uh, we, I'll, I'll address the situation where he took offense to my tweet, but the leadership part definitely sits in the back of my mind because, hey, he's supposed to be a leader on this team, right? And this team, that defense fell apart last year. I mean, there's no other way around it, epic fashion. So we'll get, we'll address that later. The tweet and 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 him not being there, and uh, I'll give my explanation of why I wrote what I tweeted, what I wrote, and then uh, why I didn't respond to what Snack said in return. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. In the meantime, we're going over OTA stuff, and what I did see was a really nice play, the play that stood out to me the most. and I'm a big fan of this guy, B.J. Goodson. Went back, tipped the ball up in the air, caught it. When he was on the field at the beginning of last year, you saw something, right? And you see it all the time when he's healthy. Now, the problem for him is going to be, can he stay healthy? Because he struggled with leg injuries last year. But B.J. Goodson is a good-looking player to me. And that play from him... Even in coverage at OTA one, get you excited. Say, hey, this they this guy has a chance. I'm not going to give up on him just yet because he had one injury filled season in his what second professional year. I still think there's potential to be a really good middle linebacker there. So that stood out to me. I'll go over some of the depth charts here also real quick, and then we'll get into the Giants after dark segment but yeah you know Kerry Wynn working with the first team defense I thought that's kind of interesting at this point Um, Dalvin Tomlinson and Josh Morrow on the defensive line Kareem Martin and Olivier Vernon as your outside linebackers with BJ Goodson and Alec Ogletree as your middle linebackers Janaris Jenkins and Eli Apple as your cornerbacks and it was a safety rotation, right? Remember, Landon Collins had the arm surgery, so he's not playing this spring. He's not practicing. So they kind of had two groups, okay? One was Andrew Adams and Darian Thompson. And the other was – got to look up some of these names – Orion Stewart, I just so I don't, I don't mess them up. Orion Stewart, who's a rookie at a Baylor, which was kind of interesting. And Curtis Riley, another – younger player that they signed as a free agent this offseason. So those four guys kind of those groups of two sort of rotated in on the defense. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And to me it meant, hey that spot opposite Landon Collins is wide open. Wide open. Anybody can win it. Right? And I'll go over the first team offense real quick. We got Nate Solder, was at the left tackle. We had uh, Patrick Omame as the left guard, Brett Jones as the starting center, John Greco was playing a little right guard, and then Eric Flowers was the right tackle, that was what I saw originally, with Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram as receivers, and this one also stood out to me, Cody Latimer, okay, and Cody Latimer's a guy, let's look at re- here, Real quick, who hasn't done a lot as a receiver in his career, but I was thinking about it because Roger Lewis worked mostly with the second team. Cody Latimer has a built-in advantage here. He's the guy that the new regime brought in. He's the guy who worked the last couple of years, for all four years of his career, I believe, under the Giants wide receiver coach, Tyke Tolbert, who was in Denver previously. So those are some built-in advantages for Cody Latimer. So expect to see him get a serious opportunity to do more as a receiver than he did in Denver. That, that's the way I'm looking at this now, especially after seeing what I saw yesterday. So that's a little basic rundown. I could get more into it. Maybe I'll do uh, a Giants After Dark on Twitter at some point next week if you want to get more in-depth of what what positions guys are, where they kind of stand on the, on the totem pole and what the Giants' plans are for them. But... In the meantime, on to the next one. All right. Let's move to everyone's favorite segment, right? Giants after dark. Where your favorite, or at least the guy you're listening to right now, Giants reporter answers your Giants questions or really any kind of questions. You want to ask about life. You want to ask about personal hygiene. You want to ask about kids. You want to ask about building a family. I'll entertain anything. Well, let's not get carried away. Almost anything. But in the meantime, let's address your New York Giants questions in this segment of Giants After Dark. All right. Shimmygod, at Shimmygod asks, does Odell get his contract this summer? All right, now we're, we're betting on this, right? You say you have to bet. Does Odell get his contract this summer? Let's make that before week one, right? And I would bet on yes. Now, I'm not saying I put the odds at 90%, probably not even 80%, but I think 65 70% would be where I'm at right now. So positive. I'm on the positive side saying yes, it will happen before the start of this season. That the Giants aren't crazy enough to string this along and string him along while he's sitting there watching guys like Sammy Watkins making $18 million per in his new deal. And Sammy Watkins, let's be honest, isn't even close to the same caliber player as Odell Beckham Jr. And after he got injured last year and had his career flash in front of his eyes twice to string him along would be a very dangerous proposition for the Giants. So my opinion is yes, they get it done. 65 to 70% of them right now of whether they get that contract done before the start of the season. At Big Rue asks, who is more likely to start this season, Eric Flowers or Eli Apple? Now, let me preface this question by saying I kind of expect both of them to start. Like, I think they're both the favorites at their position. But the thing is, to me, this is an easy question. Because Eli Apple is definitely more likely to start because he doesn't even really have any serious competition in my mind. I mean, look at the depth chart behind him. The Giants' cornerback position, let's go go over it real quick, okay, is not loaded. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have not done much at all. Chris Lewis-Harris guy who's bounced around the league a ton, right? Uh, Grant Haley's an undrafted rookie. Aaron Davis, undrafted rookie. Teddy Williams, a guy who wasn't even in the league last year. B.W. Webb, I believe, is on a sixth team in six years. Curtis Riley, a guy who they signed as a free agent. Most of these guys, by the way, all minimum salary guys. Curtis Riley is a guy that they, uh, what is a exclusive rights free agent I believe who the Titans didn't even want to return on a minimum salary William gay who's let's see he's 33 years old and is on his 12th year in the league uh who was a bit player last year for the Pittsburgh Steelers Tim Scott a guy who's bounced uh, who was on the Giants last year uh I believe he's on a practice squad at some point and so guys played very little in the NFL, has done very little. Dante Dion, really more of a slot guy. He's not going to take Eli Apple's spot. Orion Stewart here. He's listed as a DB. He's been playing safety. Uh, Jeremiah McKinnon, uh, you know, another young guy, maybe develops into something, but there's no real, all right, this guy is the guy who's competing with Eli Apple for a starting job. No, Eli Apple is basically out there, you know, head and shoulders above these other guys that are competition for him with talent wise. I mean, it's not even close. Even production at the NFL level, even though he played pretty poorly last year and he flashed and had some up and downs his rookie year. So in my mind, I can't see him not starting. Now, Eric Flowers is the favorite over Chad Wheeler. In my estimation, to start at right tackle, especially after you know OTA number one, he's out there with the first team. I think that means something. Uh, but the fact that Chad Wheeler is at least in that competition to me makes it more likely that Eli Apple starts week one than Eric Flowers. Our third question at Scooter Z twenty four. It's early, but if you're looking at the free safety position, is it still Darian Thompson's to lose? Adams, Andrew Adams, that is, Michael Thomas, and Chandler have legit chances to start, question mark? New D.C., defensive coordinator, have to figure nothing promised to anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. Nothing is promised to anyone. As I mentioned earlier, I think that other safety position, which is essentially the free safety position, because you're going to ask Landon Collins to play in the box most of the time and do stuff, rush the passer, you know, uh, play the run, and. Be that physical guy that he is. That's, that's what his skill set favors. So the other spot is essentially free safety. That guy is going to be the second guy is going to be asked to play more in a single high position deep in the field. And I would say right now, slightly, ever, ever, ever so slightly, Darian Thompson is a slight favorite over Andrew Adams. Not a huge favorite. Very, very slight, like 51 to 49%. But I also think Michael Thomas is clearly in that mix because while you say and that's why I'm not saying Darian Thompson and and uh Andrew Adams are 51-49 overall because Michael Thomas clearly factors into the mix here in my opinion. Clearly. Remember he comes over and is now playing for a defensive backs coach who was his coach in Miami. So he is a guy that his name is Lou Anarumo. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. I'm, I gotta double check that too. These names, I gotta work on these names. Lou Anarumo, Patrick Omame, uh, you know, all, all these guys out here. I got a Kyle Oletta, I think. I, I think I got that one right. Marshall Cohn? I don't know. Gonna have to get some phonetic spelling on these guys here. But anyway, Michael Thomas is a guy who I think is right. Even with those other two in that mix for that starting spot to play that other safety spot. The only thing with Michael Thomas that gives me hesitation to say that he would be the, maybe even the favorite is the fact that I could clearly see Michael Thomas being the starting slot cornerback. He's played in the slot or at least being a, he- having a heavy role covering guys out of the slot. I could see that, especially with the options the Giants have, like I ripped off before at cornerback. So last question, and a lot of people ripped this one at me, and uh, I'll answer it here. And I just happened to pick Tom Francesconi's question, at Tom Francesconi. He says, any chance we look into Incognito? Incognito being Richie Incognito. The former Buffalo Bills guard, I believe he's a, been a pro bowler before in his career. Uh, once upon a time, he played alongside John Jerry, which... Didn't go so well for them because of off-the-field stuff that came up. But anyway, the the the, this is an easy answer, too, with Incognito. I really don't see this as being something the Giants would do. A, Incognito costs some money. Not going to play for $0, right? I mean, he's not going to play for the minimum. This is a starting caliber, quality, I think even pro bowl guard. But the Giants just signed Patrick Omame. This offseason and they drafted Will Hernandez. So they have two significant investments in guards. So why would it make sense for Richie Incognito or the Giants to link up? Incognito is not going to want to come to the Giants. He wants to go to a place where he's guaranteed a hundred percent starting. Whether the Giants are going to bench a guy they just signed, Patrick Amame or, or keep Will Hernandez or second round pick on the bench. I don't see that happening. Now, if there's an injury out there, maybe. You know, if one of those guys gets injured, all of a sudden the Giants are short on guards, which I still don't even think they would do. I think that they like guys like uh John Jalapio, who played well, fairly well late last year, and even John Greco is a solid veteran that they can trust to do, you know, to go in there and give them time. And obviously, uh John Jerry's the guy who started a ton in this league. So they have all this depth at, at guard. And have two guys are invested in heavily as starters. So where would Richie Incognito come into the equation? He wouldn't. So I don't think that's, I don't think that's a realistic possibility for the Giants. And with that, that's the end of Giants After Dark. I'll answer your deepest, darkest Giants questions again next time. Probably next week. So make sure you send me your questions. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. On to the next one. All right. Time for a little Jordan on the beat. Turn it up a little bit. What we're going to do here is I'm going to address, uh, Damon Harrison's tweet towards me that a lot of you guys have asked me about over these, uh, last couple weeks and why, you know, I sent out the tweet that I, I did and how we handle this when you're on the beat, right? You're, you're, you're a professional reporter and part of the job nowadays involves being, you know, providing analysis. And when things go bad, I have to say, be honest and speak my mind. And when they go well, I do the same. And to be honest with you, Snacks has played pretty darn good since he came to the Giants. I haven't done any really, if, if at all, criticism, criticism of him personally because he's been tremendous. And I know some people thought he his play slipped last year. And I thought he played pretty darn well. So uh, there hasn't been much of that from that perspective, but the Giants' defense fell apart last year and really epic fashion. I mean, they had three guys suspended in the middle of the season. They finished 31st in the NFL for a team we thought... I, I picked them to be the number one defense in the NFL last year. And they were a mess. And I, I don't know. I don't think... I think that's inarguable, basically. Uh, so, when... B.J. Hill, right, he's the third-round pick out of NC State for the Giants. When he was up there and he was at his press conference a couple weeks ago and he was talking about – they were asking about snacks and learning from him, playing behind him. And then somebody – I don't even know who was at the time. I had just walked over. I was talking to someone else on the side – uh, someone else started asking him, you know, has he heard from anybody, or has he spoken to snacks or anyone else? And he said, no, I haven't. You know I haven't heard from any any of the veterans so far. This was like two weeks after he was drafted, before they kind of linked up. It was as a rookie minicamp, right before they linked up with everyone else. So, I tweeted out after I thought it was notable. Hey, the, he hasn't heard from any of the veterans, and you know, it's just worth keeping an eye on because. Uh, Here's exactly what I wrote. Found it interesting that D-lineman, B.J. Hill, third-round pick, hadn't heard or spoken to any defensive veterans yet. Leadership was a problem last year on that defense with the hashtag Giants. And Snacks replied, you're reaching, Jordan. Keep it up, though. Just stay away from me. right?" And people are like, why didn't you respond? And look, I'm a reporter, and my job is to give my opinion. And I thought it was notable that, this guy hadn't heard from anyone. It's something to keep an eye on the defense. The leadership thing is something that the new general manager has pointed at this offseason. He said he wanted to bring in adults, and he when they traded for Alec Ogletree, he talked about how they about his leadership and how they, they they that was a big part of the trade. So they obviously thought that leadership was a problem in that defense last year. So the fact that I tweeted that out and. You know, I'm. I just thought that that was notable. And that's something we have to keep an eye on going forward. Is how this defense comes together, and the way that who becomes the leaders, who we, who steps up, and whether they're able to stay together and be one big unit this year, and not have all this other stuff go on, which includes three guys getting suspended. So it wasn't a, a personal. I didn't think it was a personal swipe at snacks. And anyway, my job is when I think it's necessary to be critical, I have to be critical. And people have said, well, why didn't you respond to his tweet? And like, I, what good, what good is that going to do for me or for anybody at this point to go back and forth with him on Twitter or to go back and forth with anybody? So the way you handle this, and I had, I'm, I was hoping he was going to be at OTAs this week and he, and he wasn't, was I'm going to reach out and I'm going to say, hey, well, let's talk it out. I'll tell you why I did what I did. You could tell me what you did. We could talk it out and we can move on from there. That's how you, you kind of handle these things. Look, everyone who's been a, a reporter, a daily beat reporter and your job is to cover a team all the time and it involves being critical of guys and, uh, saying when they play poorly or when they do stuff badly has had ups and downs with players and they had times when players don't talk to them. And it happens. Look, there's, 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 I can name a handful of guys I've had relationships with over the years that have gone up and down. There's times where they don't want to talk to me and there's times where we've been good. And this is sort of part of the routine. And Snacks is, you know, he's entitled to his opinion as well. That's fine. He didn't like what I said. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's part of the job. If you're critical of someone there, they have every right to, you know, take offense to some of the things you say. And my job is to sort of smooth over that relationship and going to try and do it. I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see. We'll find out. But, uh, that's why I'm not going to go and fire back on Twitter. And a lot of people, you ask, "Oh, yeah, you're a coward. You don't have the guts to do that." Well, it doesn't serve me any benefit or do me any good to do that, or him, to be honest with you, to go back and forth with him and on Twitter multiple times. So that's that situation, and that's sort of how you deal with it when you're a reporter and these things pop up. And look, it's part of the job. He's going to get criticized. I'm going to get criticized. People are going to get mad at me. People are going to get mad at him. Look, this is the business we're in. This is the business we signed up for. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's only we're in the entertainment business. This isn't the end of the world. We all go back to our lives. We have families. He has kids. He has a wife. I have a wife. I have a kid. You know, we go back and this is minor, minor stuff in the grand scheme of things. So I don't get... Too offended, insulted by it. I really don't think he does either. Uh, I know he kind of seems to have hit a, a breaking point with some of the media in the past, I don't know, year or so. Uh, but this is nothing that unusual or rare. So you move on and uh, try and iron out at some point. If he doesn't want to, then, you know, we both move about our ways and. Moving different different paths. I mean, we could both still do our jobs. If, you know, we're not talking every day. We're talking regularly, so that's that. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, and make sure to give us a good rating. Right, we always like good ratings. Right, Scoping we like good ratings. He gave me the thumbs up. It wasn't the double barrel thumbs up. But it was a singular thumbs up, which was, but it was solid. He did it. He did it with authority over there. So that man, he really wants you to go and give us a good rating for this podcast and, uh, tell us what you want us to do better. Always open for ideas and feel free to send your questions anytime. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. You can find me. I'm out there. Not hard to find. So feel free to reach out anytime and make sure you come back here next time for this next episode of Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.